morning, everybody. Welcome to Ocean City Church Online. My name is Jonathan Tony. Right here, got lead pastor Derek Harmon. Here again. Here again. We're back, baby. <laughs> We're back. Uh, it's getting more fun every time we do this, I think, because uh, it's just feeling a little bit more natural. Yeah. But it's a good reminder that the church is not a building. You know, we're together uh, as the body of Christ, even digitally. But, you know, it's it's getting a little bit more normal. And yeah. it's kind of scaring me that it's feeling a little bit more normal. But I don't know. Are you adjusting? How many Zoom calls can you do a week, you know? Right. You, have you noticed the, the, the slowing of Zoom? Like, nobody's <laughs> yeah. really talked about it. Yeah. But I think there was, like, some, nobody really wanted to say it. It's kind of like there's a lot with COVID. People are like, I don't know if I should say that or not right. or how you feel about that. But like Zoom just kind of slowly went, yeah. You know, people are like, you know, last week we had 45 people on our Zoom call. <laughs> now we have three. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly. changed for sure. When it first happened, it was like, oh, yeah, it's like it's like when you go out camping, you're like, let's go camping. And then if you do it more than one night, you're like, well, this is getting old. I haven't really liked it. <laughs> well, that is yeah. the, the key to camping. On my way here today, done. it was a reminder that America is getting back to normal. I, I saw a bald eagle fly over a McDonald's. I was like, that is a symbol of America. Yes. It might have been a seagull, but in my mind, it was a, it was a bald eagle. Um, but things are good. We Eventually, we're going to get back to normal. For, but for now, this is how things are. So um, yeah. I, I was woken up in the middle of the night last night. Um, as you know, I... Uh, I have a gift that I can predict the future sometimes. I don't know if it's God or just <laughs> what I ate last night, but I wake up in the middle of the night, stomach's tossing and turning, and, and I get these glimpses of the future. So um, I feel like these were downloaded last night. Can I share a few of my future Absolutely. predictions? Absolutely. As it. you know, I'm usually spot on with these. So um, these are the future predictions of when we begin to meet together as a church in, in a building again. Uh, most likely to shake someone's hand and then say, oops, sorry, and then turn around and do it again will be Ann McFerrin. <laughs> I can see that happening. Um, most likely to stay home for as long as possible, claiming he's quarantining, but is really just avoiding people. That's uh, your brother-in-law, Mike Gajewski. Oh, that's absolutely yeah, true. That's a spot that's on. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this is one that, that I think makes a lot of sense. Most likely to keep uh, hand sanitizer in a holster like a cowboy, so he's just ready to go. It's Jacob Board. Um, yes. I can see that one. Or actually, Jack Wire, one of those yeah, two. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty tight range right there. have a right draw, yeah. you know, I can see that happening. Uh, most likely to invade your personal space to talk, ignoring all the signs of your uncomfortableness, would be obviously Danny Strickland. Yes. I don't know if that's so much of a prediction as like a sure thing. Uh, <laughs> least likely to be a... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I get to do this stuff. All right, least likely to be affected by germs. You do it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Last week I'm here. Thanks, That's everybody. Right. <laughs> Say goodbye to Jonathan. <laughs> least likely to be affected by germs because he wears a hoodie and jeans during the summer anyway is Gerald Tiano. Nice. Yeah. Yes. He's so wearing good. he's wearing a what you got a track suit on right now. It is, it is, it is cold in here. <laughs> it's cold. Yeah. Um, Okay, this one's a more serious one. Most likely to cause everyone to panic by accidentally sneezing during prayer will be uh, my friend Jonathan Balkar. <laughs> Another one not that hard to predict. Uh, most likely to try and ease everyone's fears, which is a good thing, yeah. by using math statistics that just make everyone more confused than they already were would be Dan Trifoletti. He's always like, check out this stats and these reports and these graphs, and we're like, I don't speak nerd, okay? You got them down. <laughs> 
And he's curing cancer. It's great. Um, <laughs> most likely to say, oh, wait, there was a virus going around? I thought I noticed something was different, is Kenny Potton. <laughs> and then finally, the last vision I received was uh, most likely to figure skate away their pain would be Dustin and Katie Smith. Yes, that's so good. And what song do you think they'll figure skate to? You know, I don't know. I think. Footloose? No. Uh, that's a good choice. Uh, Backstreet's back, all right, I think. <laughs> Backstreet's back, all right. You can just see it. Anyway, Very those are my good. predictions, and, um, you know. Nicely done. We never come back to this again. You can never prove me wrong. So but good. Anyway, if this is your first time at Ocean City Church yeah. Online. Yeah, you don't know any of the people that we just mentioned, yeah. and you probably don't want to know them Yeah, now. yeah. Well, welcome. Uh, we do this every single week, and it gets worse. No, um, <laughs> it's your first time. You can find out a little bit more about Ocean City Church by going to OceanCityChurch.org. That'll get you. It'll bite you. Good night. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hear the comments. I, 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 honestly, I want to hear some of the comments that are going to break through. <laughs> if you're new here, Ocean City Church. If you just dialed in. And um, you can put a complaint about the co-host. And go to new here, and click that section, fill out a card. Um, okay, I'll pull it together. Yeah, Derek, be professional. All right. Um, I, got I got this, I got this. Uh, anyway, fill out the connect card there and uh, and just let us know what's going on. And yeah, there's a lot of great people here that aren't me. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, there's city groups meeting again, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of taking off little by little as people feel comfortable. We're starting to meet together again. Absolutely. And moving forward, what's that? Is more of that, less of that? What, how are we going to see that playing out? Yeah, I think it's people have done a, an amazing, our city group leaders have done an amazing job uh, in this season uh, con connecting with people. I made some jokes about Zoom, but actually the Zoom calls were just pivotal early on. But I think people felt the tension and said, okay. Uh, we can figure this out and do this, right. you know, with uh, you know the proper guidelines. So, city group started meeting, and we just met with students, uh, our high school students, on Wednesday. Just kind of a, a gathering. We met in uh, Mary Beth's backyard, broke nice. up into groups, um, and it was amazing. Like it was amazing to be together and uh, just to study the Bible together, to break up into groups, pray together, talk about our stories. We did the Wednesday night uh, all in. Uh, and we, you know, everybody kind of worked through a couple people's timeline about nice. their spiritual impact and that kind of stuff. I mean, you realize it is so good for us to be together. So that will happen more. If you're not a part of a city group, um, I would encourage you to get in a city group. Um, we'll connect you uh, with somebody demographically uh, and geographically uh, down here at the beach. Uh, and those groups are amazing. And the people that are meeting, I mean, overwhelmingly people are showing up to those because I think people miss... Yeah. <laughs> the face-to-face -face and, yeah. Yeah. and being together, but to open up the Word of God together uh, and to pray together uh, and to be together as the church is definitely one of those things that's missed and it's, sure. um, it's vital for the church. So that is part of our phase one uh, transition as we go through. Next week we'll be going through, um, we just, CDC re released some pretty vague guidelines, but some guidelines for us as uh, um, churches mm -hmm. to look at before we open up. So we'll be going, we have an elder meeting next week, um, we're going to be looking at them as a staff formulating you know, what it will look like for us in the coming weeks to have some sort of gathering uh, here on Sunday and maybe uh, a midweek gathering too Excellent. to alleviate some of the size issues that you could have if you bring everything all back sure. at once because we want to make sure that we follow guidelines and respect people and take care of people well. Right. And so city groups are kind of the gateway into being involved. In yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, and all the city group leaders are doing a great job creating environments where people feel comfortable and, um, yeah, making it a safe but awesome, fun environment. Awesome. Cool. Well, it's getting better and better every week, and things are 
getting slowly back to normal, so that's awesome. Yeah. And then um, if you are interested in giving, there's a on our website, oceancitychurch.org, there's a button that says give. And this is such an important time to continue to give. And all, even though we're not meeting together, passing the offering buckets, uh, bags, uh, it's still just as important. And it's actually way easier to do it online. If, if you're still writing yeah. a check, if you're that person in public's writing a check, just stop it. You know, it's just <laughs> you're ruining everything. Uh, so go online, set up uh, giving that way. It's way easier. You can do recurring giving, which is awesome as well. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, if you haven't been online, again, that website. Uh, OceanCityChurch.org. I'm not allowed to say it anymore. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be right back. we got an awesome interview coming up. You guys are going to want to stick around for this. It's yeah, going to be absolutely. blow your mind. It's going to be good. All right. See you, see you in a few minutes. got Jeff Arkell. For anybody that doesn't know Jeff, he is an anchor here at Ocean City Church. He's been around for a while. He's a member of our finance committee who's done, you guys have done such an amazing job. Um, but yeah, welcome. We're so glad to have you on the live stream. You, you're in the classroom you with your map in the back, getting ready to teach us some world history. <laughs> um, just kidding. Yeah. Good Does it you. make me look studious? Does it make me look smart? That's what I'm going for. Yes. It, it makes you look okay. very smart. I was yeah. talking to a friend this week about how most people do their interviews in front of their book bookshelves, so they're like, look at all the books I've theoretically read. You know, yeah. uh, where have you traveled on that map? You know, I actually, I've been to uh, over 47 countries on that wow. map. Yeah, wow. Yeah, what I used to do in my, my, my role, I was an international guy, and so I was all over Asia, Europe, Middle East, everywhere. That's Super awesome. Fun. Yeah. Wow. Well, didn't we got, expect that. I didn't even want to talk about what we were planning to talk <laughs> yeah. about. I want to hear about that. So, well, favorite Jeff, country. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, what things have been like for you and your family. You know, how, how has it been during the quarantine? And what's life look like for you guys right now? 
Yeah, so it's it's super great. We love it. It's super fun. We don't want to uh, go back to normal. No, it's been challenging like everybody, but, um, you know, I have amazing wife, Carly, who don't, those of you who don't know her, she's fantastic, and uh, she's been holding down the fort and keeping us all sane, and then uh, we've got two wonderful boys, Easton, who's eight, and Judah, who's five, almost six, and so um, it's been good. I will tell you that um, for me personally, I usually travel. I'm not worldwide anymore, but I I usually travel every week, and um, being home for 10 weeks has been an amazing blessing. I wasn't sure how it was going to go, and I know Carly really wanted me there that often, but it's been great to go to bed every night with my spouse and to get to tuck my kids in and have dinner every night. And so um, not that I want this to go on or anything, but I'm really enjoying it selfishly. It's been great for us. Um, now, the schooling part may be a little different, and so if you get Carly on here, she might give you a different story because she's uh, been schooling our kids and doing an amazing job, but um, that can be a little stressful. So uh, I think we're – nearing the end of the school year next week we're gonna watch movies or whatever you do the last week of homeschooling so um you know we're looking forward to that and uh, whatever summer is going to look like so but we're in good spirits and uh carly's done an amazing job of uh keeping our house running and uh it's been good that's awesome well one of the things i love about this this segment um in in live streaming is just hearing about people's story um specifically their story with Jesus. And, you know, last week in our, our All In Wednesday, we talked about spiritual impact and timeline. And you've got a, a really cool story. I mean, there's, you know, some, a lot of people in the Southeast that grew up in this area, you know, they became Christians at a young age, been in church their whole life, or had a, a, a certain trajectory. But yours is kind of, yours is different. So it's, I would love for you to tell a little bit about your, your faith journey and your story with Jesus. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I was raised Catholic, Midwestern guy from Kansas City. And, uh, very staunch Catholic. We went to church every Sunday, went to CCD for all you recovered Catholics out there, uh, Wednesday night, the whole thing. And um, so I knew a lot of rules. I knew a lot of traditions. What I didn't know was Jesus. Um, and so I was really good at the ritualistic part of it. And so um, after kind of, you know, I started to make my own decisions, I unfortunately, you know, strayed away from church a little bit into college and things. And then um, as I moved to Florida for a job and met Carly, um, she was raised Baptist, and so uh, we came from kind of the polar opposite backgrounds, right, of of the different denominations. And so we started to say, okay, what's split the difference between Catholic and, and Baptist? Hey, let's go Methodist. And so we went to BTUMC right across the street from OCC and, um, and started to figure it out, right? So we were, um, okay, let, let's go to the traditional. No, let's go contemporary, you know, because we were trying to figure out where we meshed. And so long story short, I just felt God's like tug on me. And it was in a different way of not like, okay, learn this scripture or or do you know who I am in the Bible, but do you really know me? And so it was just the weirdest feeling um, because I felt like this whole time, like, well, I know him, I know God, but I didn't, I didn't really know him. And so um, I vividly remember it was one Sunday, I was actually by myself, Carly was out of town and it was the sermon series was how to save a life. And so that cool song, I don't even know who sings it. You guys are musical. You tell me, but how to save a life. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, perfect. So that great song was on. I remember going in and I sat at the back, right? Because that's what you do when you don't know the Lord. You sit way at the back. And um, and so I'm at the back by myself and um, and the song's going over. I'm like, man, this is weird. And so through the sermon and through what Pastor Jerry was speaking on, I was like, man, this is... This is something I've never felt before, and I know that God is, is talking to me specifically. And so I picked up a Bible that was in front of me, and I started looking through it, and, and he was just speaking to me through different passages. And for the first time ever, I thought, like, wow, I absolutely need to surrender to him specifically. He died for me specifically, um, awesome. and, and there is nothing that I can do in this world 
without him. So I need to, to turn my life over to him. And so I'm bawling and everything. And those, those people don't know me. I'm kind of a crier. It's embarrassing, but I'll, I'll own it. And so I'm crying in the back and everything. And then I end up going up for the, for the altar call. And it was, um, it was obviously life transforming. Um, and, uh, and so from that moment, you know, I came home and I told Carly, you know, she was all excited and called my mom and she was like, I thought you were already a Christian, you know? So we had to walk through that a little bit, you know, cause I'm very yeah. Catholic. And then, yeah. um, so, but she understood and kind of, you know, told her all about it. And so I was on fire and, you know, and hopefully still am. But, um, one of the big things that I struggled with, and, and this is just for those Catholics out there, like I was sprinkled baptized as a baby, right? Which is amazing. And, and I love it. And it's a great tradition. But I was never, never got to proclaim um, Jesus as my Lord and Savior as a believer. And so it really bugged me. And so I went to the church and said, hey, will you do this? And they're like, no, we don't do that. This is our rule. And so it was really bothering me. And um, so what ended up happening was Carly and I were on mission and in Jamaica and with the church. And uh, so I went to the pastor and I'm like, I need to do this. And so coolest part about it is he was like, all right, well, then we're doing it. And we went out in the river there in Jamaica uh, and I'm all dirty, so it's kind of nice to be in the water, right, when you're on mission. And and so he baptizes me right there. And um, and it was it was pretty soon after, you know, all that had happened, you know, when I when I literally surrendered my life. But the baptism and the and then the like public proclamation was so key for me. And it's part of my story because um, I truly believe that you know, at walking out your life and, and living it for Jesus, you absolutely have to to do that. You have to know not only know him in your heart, but then also to be able to really say. He is my Lord and Savior, and um, yeah. and so that was that was kind of my journey, and then you know that's been 15 years ago, I guess, and um, and since then, you know, we we try to live that way, kind of kind of every day, and and I fail miserably all the time, which is why I'm happy for Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> well I think so good. I think we're gonna have to add that song to our uh, set list, Gerald, uh, "How to Save a Life." So yeah. we look for that. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Jeff, yeah. you uh, you work on the finance committee at o Ocean City, and uh, you work with my wife, Brittany, who's on there as well. So I've never been to a finance committee, but in my mind, it's just spreadsheets and highlighters and sticky notes everywhere. You guys are super into it. Is, is that a close? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe how you work on the finance committee and your background with it and maybe in your career? How is it your passion and just kind of what, yeah. what is it for you? Yeah, so your wife's amazing at it. She keeps us all in check, which is really good. So we're Me super too. glad that she's there. Um, I'd actually like more spreadsheets, so I'm a new guy to the finance committee. They don't let me, like, you know, get my input in there as much. I'm hoping for more spreadsheets, but, um, <laughs> no, so I, I love math, right? I'm a numbers guy. I'm su It's super embarrassing, and I'm the guy that, you know, if, if people are talking math, I'll just do it in my head because I just want to see if I can do it in, in, instead of just pulling out your calculator. Um, in fact, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, Mike Berry did a sermon uh, months ago, and his sermon illustration, which was really funny, was on him teaching his little kids uh, complex math. And everybody laughed and, you know, and everything. And all I could think of was, like, I'm going to grab him after and talk about that math. Like, I want to talk math with him. It would be great. Um, and so I just, I love math. And so um, I was super honored to be asked, um, you know, by, by OCC to kind of be on um, the finance committee. And um, I've done that in the past with other churches. And uh, I've got a passion for financial counseling. It's part of my story about what God saved me from. Um, and so, you know, we grew up kind of in a, in a, in a good upper middle class family and, and I just had a really unhealthy relationship with money. Um, unfortunately I didn't learn about money. And so I started to idolize money as far as a part as being a value to me. Like I was saying that I, if I was wealthy or if I could be wealthy one day, I would be valuable. And this is before I knew the Lord, but 
so it was really, really tough because um, I equated value and money, uh, my self-worth with it. And so um, out of college, I strived to like get the best job I could, make a bunch of money. And, you know, by the world, I was looking good, right? I was doing a great job. And then um, through that, you know, and right before I met the Lord, um, I got made some greedy decisions and, and you know, living for that and, and God just crushed me with it, right? <laughs> He's like, took away all my money, put us in a bunch of debt. And, and there was nothing um, that I could do about it. And that's part of my surrendering story was you need to learn uh, about what, what God says about money and, and how it can be used. It's not evil and it's not, um, you know, it's not your comfort either. It's not your idol. And so um, I just threw myself into it, right, and learned about money and finances, learned about that God talks about money more than anything else in the Bible, which is crazy, more than love. Um, and so... I took the Crown Financial classes. I was a Dave Ramsey guy, Financial Peace University, the whole thing, and told everybody and anybody that wanted to listen to me about it. Um, but what it did was is it really taught me a lot about my heart specifically. And as I work with other people in counseling, um, I find the same thing every single time is that uh, people are scared of it, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't want to talk about it. It's kind of one of those taboo subjects. They don't want to have a budget. They don't want to look at things. And what we realize is, is that once we really give those finances over to God, because it's his anyway, um, there is a, a tremendous freeing realization by everybody, me included, right? Every single time that I, I am more generous than I'm greedy, every single time I feel like, wow, God, I'm truly turning over you know, my life to you. I, this is an act of worship. Um, and I truly believe that it is one of those things that I know God has saved me from. Um, because at the end of the day, I learned very, you know, through that horrible process of, you know, almost being bankrupt and all those things that God wants my heart, not my money. If he wants yeah. my money, he just takes my money. And I've seen that. And, um, so not to use it as an idol, not to use it as a source of comfort. Um, because, um, one of the things I was talking to Carly ironically about uh, a couple weeks ago was like my best, my best vision of my lottery winning dream. Not that I played the lottery, but if I did, like if we just had all this money, like that can't even compare to what God has for me and for all of us, right? Like, so I learned not to limit God by saying, hey, just give me a bunch of money, which equates to comfort and fun and whatever. I just need to be a good steward of that money and, and then ask him for him because he's better than anything I could imagine or whatever I could do with the money that I think is going to give me that comfort. So yeah. um, to me, it's a total heart change. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate um, stepping in, doing financial counseling. You know, one of the most difficult things, I think, for people to talk about, you know, you'd think of a whole myriad of things that would be awkward and difficult to talk about, but money um, is at the top of the list. If you talk to people in, in general counseling, talking to people about their finances, it's a, very, it's a source of pride right. um, and, uh, you know, an area where people get hurt, don't, you know, are embarrassed about where they are. Um, and I think the way that you enter into those situations um, you do it with grace and mercy and from a position of, hey, I've been there. Um, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And your story. I love it because I'm like, people get saved at other churches, man. <laughs> you know, right down the road. I mean, I love that, yeah. you, you, you know, that, that that's the community that we live in. We live in a community of faith that doesn't just isolate us to Ocean City Church. And to yeah. hear stories of faith are stories of faith. And, um, you know, Jerry Sweat at, at Beach has been so faithful with the gospel uh, and what he's done. Uh, and so many churches in this in the area are doing the same thing week in and week out, and I love that you know we honor those people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a, as a church, you know, it's not you know, not one of those things we we compete. And it's just something we celebrate and say, God is amazing, yeah, uh, and how He works. So, awesome man. Well, it's great chatting with you. Um, hug the fam. 
because you're allowed to, we're not. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you soon. I, we, we have a feeling we'll, we'll be seeing uh, a lot of people more often around the, the beach. Anyway, I'll probably see you on your golf cart cruising around, <laughs> making, making it out to the beach. So uh, love you guys. Have a good rest of your Sunday. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, All right. Jeff. Well, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back with uh, the word for today. Yep. Acts chapter 9. Awesome. See you in a little bit. great segment that was fun I think just had the the looseness of the, the front end of that oh my goodness Jonathan Tony I mean classic I mean it just doesn't get any better than that uh, if you're new uh, to Ocean City Church one of the things that we don't take seriously is ourselves and the thing that we do take seriously is Jesus and man I tell you what if you got your Bible take 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 it out Acts chapter 9 uh, we're gonna see one of the most prolific conversions to Christianity that we see in all of Scripture and it's interesting, you know, we're talking about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. I mean, you talk about a heavy hitter when it comes to uh, the movement of the church. Many of us are sitting in the position we are today, um, knowing who Jesus is because of the foundation that he laid uh, with the rest of the apostles in the church. And his conversion story, I think for a lot of people, uh, if you've grown up in church, I've, I've heard this as a pastor over the years. Um, I didn't have a Saul to Paul conversion. And what people are saying when they're saying that is, you know, what we see in a transition in the book of Acts where previously when Saul was breathing out murderous threats, he was somebody that murdered Christians or somebody that arrested Christians. He wanted to shut down the way. And then all of a sudden we see in Acts chapter 13 that transitions and all of a sudden he becomes Paul. And it's, people kind of equate that. He's a totally new person, hated Christianity, and then all of a sudden becomes the, one of the main voices to amplify Christianity to the rest of the world. And a lot of people, this conversion story is meeting, you know, he literally meets Jesus. 
the risen Christ on the road to Damascus while he's going there to arrest Christians. And I think a lot of people think about that and they're like, that's not my story. Like, I don't have that Saul to Paul conversion story. Like, I, 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 you know, there's people that have that. I was a crack addict. I was on the street. And this was my life, and it was absolutely in turmoil. I lost my family. I lost everything. And then I met Jesus, and everything has, has changed as a result of him coming into my life, of complete recovery. You know, I was in prison, or I was in this place or this space. I was completely against God. I, I, I was in a whole nother stratosphere when it came to faith, and there was this overwhelming moment where God came in and changed everything. But there's a lot of people. I think most people, when I look out you know, it, in church, they would say, I don't have that story. I have more of the timeline that we talked about in All in Wednesday. Like, I've got these moments in faith. I've got these moments where God's done something. Maybe it was with grandma when I was six, and then all of a sudden I was at 12, and I was at youth group. Uh, and then I was in college, and I was 19, and I was kind of running in a different direction. And then all of a sudden God came in and did this. And um, and then something happened when I was in my 30s because I kind of you know looked up at the sky and thought, is this all real? And then all of a sudden Jesus came in because you had kids and you definitely need Jesus after you have kids. And your story kind of is in that zone. But I want to I take this story because it is, it is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible in Acts chapter 9. Um, and there's, there's four things that the Apostle Paul needed in his conversion and in his life and in his story that, that all of us need on the ground, on planet Earth now. And I was thinking about, you know, the Apostle Paul would, would have been known as somebody that was very self-righteous. You know, he even speaks of himself in, in the past tense. Like, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. In, in terms of the law, keeping the law, nobody was better than me. Nobody was a better religious leader. Nobody was a better theologian. Nobody was a, a, a better Jew than the Apostle Paul. And in, in the midst of that pride, there was this thing called self-righteousness. But as we dig into this, the reality for all of us is all of us have, are self-righteous. Like, all of us want to be right. Like there's something inside of every single one of us that wants to be right. I mean, in every argument, I, I just, it's, it's one of those things, if you have a spouse or if, you, if you've ever gotten into it with a friend, have you ever been in the dumbest argument ever and, and, and trying to be right? Yeah, Jonathan Tony's raising his hand. He's going, yes, I have. But like, you know, I, you know, talking about the, 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 arranging the fridge, like the fridge should be arranged this way, hot sauce on this row, this should be here, we should put the milk over here. I don't even know why this is in here. It's been in here for days with tinfoil on top of it. It's got the thing with the macaroni. It's got maybe a little bit of blue fuzz. It shouldn't be in there. I don't even know why it's in there. It shouldn't be in there. And the other person's like, well, this is what the fridge is for. And you're like, I don't think the fridge is for that. And I'm right, there, there's, there's a way to do the fridge. I can't believe you do the fridge this way or laundry or anything else. And I'm just... I, that, I've never had any of those arguments or discussions in my house or in my marriage about laundry and the way that you roll, you roll it. You don't fold it in the middle because then there's a line in the middle of the t-shirt. And if you roll them and put them away, it's different. You don't want to live in my house. I'm just telling you that. But we, we get in the midst of those conversations and even about bigger things. I mean, there's, there's, there's things where we want to be right. I mean, if you ever, nowadays, everybody scrambles for their phone. Everybody says, yeah, this is what happened. And somebody's like, no, that didn't happen that way. You're like, yeah, it was. They, they definitely were starring in that movie. Were they in that movie? No, they weren't in that movie. Yes, they were in that movie. And then somebody's like, they were in the movie. Loud and wrong. You weren't just wrong. You were loud about it. You were loud and wrong. I mean, you ever gotten in those and everybody gets heated and angry? What's interesting, I did some, some research about this, this idea of righteousness or being right, like our need to be right. And there was so much information in psychology today. I read, I think, five articles 
um, about what's happening in the brain when we want to be right. Like there's something that's going on. And this one article that I read, um, read was absolutely fascinating. I found out some pretty interesting things. When you're thinking about the Apostle Paul and the self-righteousness that had to get cut through in his conversion story. Um, I think about my own rightness and my need to be right. In the beginning of the article, it says this. It says, much of the emotional suffering in the world comes from the substitution of power for value. So in other words, much of the suffering in the world in relationship comes from the substitution of power for value. In other words, if, I, if all of us want value in life. I mean, we agree. Like everybody, everybody wants, but that is something that God's put in us is to, the need for value. But there's a problem on planet Earth because of sin is what we would say, but the psychologist says is that we put power in that place. Power makes me feel more valuable. Being right makes me feel more valuable. And it goes on to say, narcissistic behavior has many characteristics, but the need to win and the need to be right are central in this behavior. And then they go and say, okay, what happens in the centerpiece of arguments when somebody says, I'm right, and they're certain, and then somebody's on the other side and says, I'm right, and they're certain? What happens in those? Well, anger, right? I mean, that's what, what happens in the middle of those conversations, like anger. And what, I, what this, this one uh, doctor said was incredible. He said, in the midst of those anger arguments about being right, he says, and I think I've got this one on the screen because I want you to see this. High adrenaline emotions, particularly anger, create the profoundest illusions I want to repeat illusions of certainty due to their amphetamine effects. The amphetamine effect creates a temporary sense of confidence and certainty while narrowing, listen to this, while narrowing the mental focus, eliminating most variables from consideration. In other words, in the midst of you thinking you're right, the certainty, as soon as it becomes I'm angry about it, all of a sudden any of the possibilities that are logical, that make sense, you're going to eliminate them. In other words, you become dumber in the middle of your I'm always right argument. That's why you feel confident after a cup of coffee, because amphetamine's in there and it, than, than you do before it. And that's why you're convinced that you're right and everyone else is wrong when you're angry. Certainly, okay, listen to this. I love this statement. Certainty itself is an emotional state, not an intellectual one. I know my spouse is going to pull that one off on me at, at some point. Like... That you're not being smart, you're actually being dumber in your certainty than you, than you are um, standing your ground about laundry. Um, we do this to create, a feeling, uh, to create a feeling of certainty. Listen to what the brain's got to do to feel certain. The brain must filter out far more information than it processes, which of course greatly increases the already high error rate during emotional arousal. In other words, you're already dumb because you're, you're emotionally aroused. But when you're angry, you're eliminating good options. Like you're not even thinking. And I just thought about this. Have you ever been in an argument, an always right argument, and you ended up somewhere you're like, I, I've dug myself a hole in my marriage in this fight about nothing. Like I don't even know what happened to me. And then 30 minutes later, you're calmed down, and you're looking at your spouse you're like, I, I was possessed by a demon. I don't even know what happened to me. I don't even know how I got here. Now, why am I saying this? Well, I, I think when it comes to our belief systems, I mean, it's where we get to. Think about it. Nobody gets angry about politics, right? And, and they're, they're bent on where they are. I mean, we're in that zone right now. I mean, I, I hate to even say it. It's like we, we, we're going to be in that place of, you know, how do we feel about this or how do we feel about that? And the, the, the dividing lines of politics. Nobody ever gets in theological arguments where they get heated, right? Like about what we believe about God. 
that we get into those places, our belief system is, is, is affected. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks for somebody to overcome if they're going to follow Jesus is they're going to have to abandon what they previously thought was right. Does that make sense? Like, so if for, for, for somebody that's doesn't believe in Jesus, has, they think, okay, there's many different pathways to find God. There's, I don't even believe. I'm an atheist. I don't believe this is all happenstance. I believe science is our, our best bet on planet Earth. They're going to have to abandon what they previously thought was right. So for all of us, Jesus has to cut through at some point our righteousness. And for the Apostle Paul, there was four things that needed to happen to blaze through his righteousness because he was a Jew amongst Jews. He believed it so much so that he didn't mind a guy getting stoned. He smiled when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7. People put their coats at the feet of Saul who would eventually become Paul because they knew he approved of what was going down. you got to believe it with some conviction to stand and witness somebody's death. Something had to happen for him to come over and say, I'm going to passionately follow Jesus. In fact, nobody's going to follow Jesus like me. I'm going to do, I'm going to run the race and I'm going to run it furiously. I will continue to strive here on planet earth is what the apostle Paul did. What happened to him that we also need? So there's four things. So uh, if you got your Bible, you get the very at the top you know that there's, there's like a transition of good news to bad news. In Acts chapter eight, some pretty good news things are happening. The gospel's not just going to Samaria, but it's going to the ends of the earth with Philip, Ethiopian eunuch. We just had a guy teleport. It's pretty amazing. And then, you know, the bad news. Meanwhile, when you have a meanwhile, here's the other side of the story. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priests and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he, was, um, if, if he found any who belonged to the way, which is anybody that followed Jesus, whether men or women... He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared, listen to this. So here, here we're, get, we're getting ready to get into our first point. As he neared Damascus, so he's there to, to persecute Christians, to drag them out of their homes, to put them in prison in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I love his responses. Who are you? And then he says, Lord? I mean, he's kind of got an idea that, that whoever this is, they are Lord. They are my boss. He's, the, Jesus responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You see, right here, you've got somebody that's that believes that they are right. They, they are making all the right decisions. And in terms of keeping the law, he would say, I, I, I was, there was nobody like me. And he was furious at this idea that people would get extended grace, that the people that were the furthest out, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people that, that had no shot with God, it's what elevated Saul in the position that he was in. He's like, nobody's going to be like me. This dirtbag's not even going to be able to go into the temple. And all of a sudden, this thing called the way is happening. This thing called following Jesus is happening. They're like, so anybody, this, anybody by faith, you know, can, can believe in Jesus on his death, burial, and resurrection. And all of a sudden, they don't need the temple system anymore. They can just be in the presence of God. Blasphemy. He was angry because it, it changed who he was. It, it, it pushed him down a peg. So he was furiously fighting against it. But what we see here is Jesus comes on the scene. It's very personal. 
And so the first point I have, if, you, if you're journaling or writing notes in your Bible, is that he needed revelation over religion. He, needed, he didn't need to, to, to figure out, okay, I need to go to church and I need to you know, learn how to study the Word of God. He didn't need a lot more information. It's not that we don't study the Bible, but what the Apostle Paul needed to break through his rightness, his self-absorption, his navel-gazing was a revelation, not a religion. And Jesus came personally. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And that's exactly what you and I need. I think too often we, we sit in church and we, we come and we go through the routine. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think as men, this is one of the things that we I love that Jeff said, I got broken down. I mean, you, you, th you listen to his story. It's this story. He, he, had, a, a, he had a relationship with a religion. He, he, he knew what the right things were. He says, I, I was in church, I was doing the stuff, but I did not know Jesus. And then he said, and all of a sudden, by the power of the Holy Spirit, hearing the word of God preached, in, in a moment, God came in, and what happens? He meets Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus. He had a revelation, not a religion. And it changed everything for him. I love what, what's happening here is what we see the Apostle Paul asking of the, the, the church in Ephesus. Paul's in prison, and he's writing a letter to the Ephesians. I don't even have these verses uh, on the screen. But he says, I think somewhere in verse 15, 16 through 19, he says, I, I pray, I keep asking the Lord, I keep praying to the Lord that, 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 that he would open the eyes of your heart, that he would open the eyes of your hearts, enlighten you, that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. He, he goes on to say, I, I want you to have a revelation. I want you to see something. I want, I want you to have spiritual eyes. I want your perspective to change. You don't need more information. You need a revelation. He, he says, I keep asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I keep asking this of the church. I want what happens to you. I want it to look like what happened to me. I want your eyes to be opened. You know, I was talking to a student leader this week, and such a similar story. We were all kind of sharing our, our timeline of spiritual impact and all in Wednesday. And I said, I mean, I don't know your story real well. Um, and I said, what's your, what's your story of faith? He says, well, it's not super interesting. I, you know, I, I was kind of a straight edge guy. If you don't know anything, Jonathan, you know what straight edge is. Like, yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm cool. It's, it's like cool. I follow the rules, right? I'm, you know, you know, it's Mike Berry right there, you know, cool, follow the rules. Um, and that's the way he was. And he said, it was my banner that I, that I wore. I was better than other people because I followed the rules. I was better than other people, specifically in the area of, when he was a teenager, of alcohol and the ladies. Like he said, that was me. Like everybody else was, you know, fooling around with all that. And I was just like, oh, I'm not doing that. You know, I go to church. Um, this, is the, this is what I do. And it was his banner. It was his badge. It was the thing that he thought was awesome. And he said, and eventually, he goes, I abandoned the, this kind of idea of religion for a relationship with Jesus, and my life changed. And he goes, then I met Gerald, I came to church uh, at OCC, and I learned about grace, and everything changed. I said, okay, that's all well and good. I said, but what happened? Like, what happened to you in that transition? Something happened. Gerald was in that group, I think. And he said, uh, he said what do you mean? I said, but like, there's always, there's a pivotal moment where God changes things. And you were, you were super religious, and all of a sudden, you, you, something happened with Jesus. What happened? He goes, well... He goes, you know, I was, I was kind of headed down that road thinking I was better than everybody else. He goes, and then a girl. <laughs> and I liked her. 
And she said, she came up to me, and I, I didn't even know I was going to get any attention from her. And she said, guess what's going to happen to you tonight? You're going to get drunk. And he said, in about six minutes, I abandoned everything because of a girl. And he said, in the next morning, he woke up and full of shame, realizing in that moment, all this, all this work that I've put in, everything that I've put into religion, everything that I've put into these rules, everything that made me who I was, every identity that I had uh, of being a better person, I'm now no better than anybody else. The religion that I had put together didn't work. And he said he, he, he cried, opened his Bible, and met Jesus. And I, I think that's what we need. We don't, we, we don't need a religion. We need a revelation. We need a revelation. So that's number one. As we move into number two, I want to jump into verse seven. It says, the men that were traveling with Saul. So you've got a light come from heaven. Jesus says, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Now go to the city and do what you're told. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. So commentary says they heard Jesus speaking. They just didn't see the light. So Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So he was blinded, which any of us would be, seeing the holiness of Jesus and our brokenness. So they, listen to this, they led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days he was blind, didn't eat or drink anything. The second thing that the Apostle Paul needed to cut through his self-righteousness, to cut through his rebellion, to cut through this idea of him thinking he knew what was right, was he needed to be right-sized before God. He needed a right-sizing. So we got revelation over religion. We got right-sizing. You, you literally have, you talk about a humbling. The guys that were his underlings, the guys that, that worked for him, were now leading him by the hand to Damascus. Blind, not knowing what's going on, just knowing I've met Jesus. And I realize, guess what? I'm no better than anybody else. Because the Apostle Paul before this was like, there's everybody else, and then there's me, and then somewhere up here is God. And, and, and that was his identity. His identity was completely in that. And now he realizes in this right-sizing, there's God, and then there's the rest of us. There's the rest of broken humanity. All sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. You know, I, I love that the Apostle Paul, in his... In his sanctification journey, because if you read the writings of Paul, he, he very quickly, especially in the book of Romans, saying, hey, I am a sinner just like everybody else. I'm, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. And then you see that almost increase. His recognition of his rebellion and his sinful nature culminates at the end of his writings. Some of the last things he wrote, guess what he says? He doesn't just say, I'm a sinner like everybody else. He says, no, I'm the chief of sinners. I wasn't just wrong. I was the most wrong in the argument. He needed to be right-sized. He needed to stand in the awe in the presence of God and realize, I am not God. I am not. That there is something different. There is an otherness to God that I didn't understand before. And now I understand. Revelation, not religion. And he needed to be right-sized. You know, I several years ago, my wife... Um, was leading it, just starting to lead a Bible study. She just uh, had our first son, Jack. She had um, come home and wasn't going to go back to work. We, she was going to uh, stay home with our kids. And uh, the girl that took her place uh, at her job, she was a speech and language pathologist, was the girl that she went to graduate school with, actually a good friend of hers. Um, and 
God was just kind of leading my wife, and she didn't want to do it, but God sometimes keeps pressing to, to invite her to the Bible study. And it was the Bible study was a bunch of Christian women. Ann McFerrin was hosting it. I think uh, Kathleen Vinger uh, was a part of that Bible study. Most, mostly Christian women. And God's saying, hey, you're going to invite this girl there. And, and, and you know, Beth's kind of having this argument with God. Like, I, I'm not, Jesus is not a Christian. This, will be, this is going to be awkward, like we've been talking about. This is going to be awkward. Um, finally, she just invites her. Uh, and the girl comes every week. She came every week. And then one particular week, and I know I'm going to mess up the story and I'm going to get in trouble for my wife, but um, they were studying uh, the story in the life of David. And she kind of stopped everybody and she's like, I, I just am blown away. Like, I don't even understand this, how God could forgive David after what he did with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband. God came in with this grace and mercy. How is that even possible? And then she left uh, that night and then she came back the following week, and she said, hey, I want to want to tell everybody something. Like, something happened to me. Like, last week when we were studying this, and I got my car, something something happened. She said, when I was in my car, I flipped on to one of those weird radio stations you listen to, like The Promise or whatever, the Christian people, and this song came on. Uh, it was Amazing Love. Um, amazing Love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And she said, something happened to me in my car. Something, something in that moment happened to me. And I met Jesus. And I went home and I got down on my knees. And I don't know, I guess that's what you call it. You, you, you give your life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. All the women in Bible study are like, <laughs> best Bible study ever. Yeah, amazing. In that moment, guess what it was? She had a revelation. She didn't need religion. The Bible study needed the, the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. Listen to the power of the Word of God in that story. But what she, what she needed was a revelation and then a right-sizing. Why would you die for me? I'm a sinner. I, I need something. I'm desperate for something. It was a right-sizing in that moment that changed her life forever. And we all need that. We need a revelation. We need a right-sizing. As you continue in this passage, it's pretty crazy. In Damascus, so you got Apostle Paul's on his way there. He's heading to Damascus, being led by the hand. He's been right-sized. He's had a revelation before God. But back in Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man, Tarsus, named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, this guy, he's, he's seen a man named Ananias, which is you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And the Lord, uh, Lord answered Ananias, Well, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So he's like, hey, I know about this guy, Saul. And I don't know if I'm real certain. He doesn't say that, but you can kind of tell in his tone. He's like, is it Saul that I'm going to be laying hands on? Because I don't want to die. Um, and then God comes in and says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. And later we're going to see that uh, in a couple of weeks with the Apostle Paul standing before kings, preaching the gospel and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. So I love this because we're seeing right here. That the, the Apostle Paul not only had a revelation, not only was he right-sized before God, but all of a sudden now he is going to be God's 
chosen instrument. So our, our third point today is not only do we get this do we get Jesus, but we get this clear and compelling purpose. The Apostle Paul immediately is trading something small, which is his Judaism, which is his, the, the fact that he was Saul, the fact that he was a Jew amongst Jews, the fact that he was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees, the fact that he was somebody, the fact that he had an amazing theological resume, the fact that he was in with the politicians. All of that was being blown away and was small in comparison to the huge nature of what he was stepping into in the gospel, this clear and compelling purpose. No more res resume of righteousness that he needed to build. The freedom that he was chosen to carry his name, that that was going to be his soul and purpose in life. You know what, what, what a relief that is for you and me. It's what we need. We need to understand. Because I think a lot of us spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do in life? Like, you know, what's, what am I, what, am I going to this job, this job, I'm in a dead-end job, you know, what, what is my purpose? But the reality is, as a follower of Jesus, and what the, the wake-up call that the Apostle Paul got was, he had one purpose, which I am the carrier of the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. That is my sole purpose. Yes, God's given me skills. Yes, God's made me artistic. Yes, God's, I can play music. Yes, I'm good at business. Yes, I'm good at math, Jeff Arkell. I'm good at a lot of different things. And those things are God-given. But they are not your purpose. That is not what you're working out in life. The job that you currently have is not your purpose. It might be something that God will leverage for his purpose. But you have one singular purpose as a follower of Jesus. And what freedom is that? Because the Apostle Paul, at any moment... Your, your other, any other purpose is going to be fragile. Any job that you have, if you're a mom or a dad and that's your purpose, you're a coach and that's your purpose, those things can be swept away in an instant. Now the Apostle Paul had an ironclad purpose that could never be taken away from him, no matter where he was. He could be in prison, chained to the wall, and write the book of Ephesians. Talk about the gospel exploding. Because... The new purpose that he had couldn't be taken away. Any purpose that we have, and we, 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 put our, we make so many small things our purpose. And your purpose is not what you do, it's what you carry. Your purpose is not where you go, it's what you're carrying when you go there. We're always trying to figure out, where am I supposed to go next? What am I supposed to do? No. What are you carrying when you go there? How are you leveraging what you do? To bring what it is God's given you to carry. That's the, and then nothing can be taken. I love the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You see this fleshed out. In verse 19 he says, though I'm free, because he was free. All of a sudden he's free from his resume. He's free from trying to impress people. He says, I'm free from any and all men, though I make myself a slave. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm free. I don't need the approval of these people. I don't need to hold fast to my Judaism. I don't need to hold fast to my, my Jewish name, Saul. I can be Roman Paul. He didn't need to hold on. He says, I'm free from any and all men. But guess what that did? It freed him to become a slave to, to any and all that he might save some. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. To the moralist, I, became a, I understood where they stood. For a, a loose living, immoral person, I understood where they were. I didn't become those people. I was grounded and rooted in Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But I was free. I had a new purpose. And in my old purpose, all I could think about was me. And in my new purpose, I could lift my eyes and say, I'm going to be a slave to all these people. All of a sudden, the heart of compassion was born 
with the new purpose, with his new identity, with the fact that he had a revelation, with the fact that he had been right-sized before God. Everything changed. Everything changed for him. New eyes. New eyes is what he gets. I just want to jump down and, and, and we, we, look at, we look at this passage and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. The Apostle Paul ends up, Ananias meets him. He prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes. And it says in verse 19 that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Picking up in verse 20, it says that once he began to preach in the synagogues. Look at this. Scales fall off the eyes. Look at the transition. That Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? They're like, something's changed. Something's changed. Some of them weren't quite sure yet. Isn't, isn't this the one who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners and the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. There was no doubt that Paul had a revelation and he needed a revelation. No, no doubt that he had been right-sized. My man was blinded and being led by the guys that worked for him. No doubt that this guy had a clear and compelling purpose. But it was completely different. So number four is he had a new identity. He had a new, totally new identity. And people saw it. And this is I read this this week, and this is one of the most challenging things for me. Because I'm like, do I look different? Do I look different than I did? Like when I look at this per, the, the person that I was, and I look at the person that I am now, do I look different? When I look at the other people that live in my community and in my culture that don't follow Jesus, do I look different? And this isn't about being on your high horse as a Christian going, I'm good at stuff. I, you know, we go and we can, we sing Hillsong songs at our place and you sing rock songs at your place. I don't know what you do, but we're better than, no, I'm talking about, is your life different? Are you carrying the name of Jesus? He was against it. That was what he was trying to shut down. And all of a sudden he is in an opposite direction. I think sometimes we're always trying to calm, like, calm down, new Christian. New Christian, calm down. You, you, you'll, you'll settle down sooner or later. I know you're fired up about telling people about Jesus, but it's weird, and you listen to too many Christian songs. You probably need to mix in you know, some John Mayer or something in there or something to calm you down. Why do we need to calm down the new conversion, the revelation that somebody's had, the right-sizing that somebody's had? We need that. We need to be right-sized. Look what, what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. He's trying to tell them. You know, you've been chosen. You've been adopted. You, you, before the foundation of the world, God picked you. You've been redeemed. You, you, now, now you have power in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You are different. Everything has changed. Does it look like it? Does it look like everything has changed? Do we believe it? Because the enemy's coming in. In our prayer time before and worship time, we just felt strongly. The enemy wants to come in and, and tell us who he thinks we are. And wants us to believe it. But, but God's coming in with a, a louder and overwhelming word today for you and for me to say you are the privileged sons and daughters of the king. You, that is, your name is not forsaken. It is chosen. Everything is changed for you. And we have, if we want to carry the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth, we need to take those moments where we've... And for some of us, for some of you, and I'll end here, you've never had a revelation. And I'm just... This is a hard thing to hear. You've never had a revelation. You, 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 you have a relationship with church. You have a relationship with church people. You enjoy church community. But in terms of standing in the presence of God and having a relationship with Jesus, 
It's like having somebody in your household that's pretty awesome. Like imagine the most famous person that you could think of that you would really like to meet. I mean, who's a famous person you would like to meet? Eric Cerny. Anybody? Chris Pratt. Chris, he wants to meet Chris Pratt. It's like Chris Pratt coming to your house and he's, you, you've got a room for him. And, and, but you guys just kind of pass each other in the halls. You don't, you don't talk to him. You don't get to know him. You're like, I got Chris Pratt. The guy, the, my, my homie, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, he's, he's, he's in the, the door next to me. We're not having dinner together. We're not hanging out. I'm not finding out about who he is. I'm not allowing him to affect my life. I'm not taking the idea that, hey, do you know Chris Pratt lives in my house? And telling people about it. Hey, you know, you know who I talk to every day? Chris Pratt. How do, why do we, we, the creator of the universe has come and has come with a revelation that he's real and met some of you? but yet we act like we're going to pass him in the halls and never talk to him. And, and for the men in our church, I think we have, I love that Jeff Arkell says, I cry when I think about Jesus. You know, I, I think we've lost the ability to, to feel emotional about our relationship with Jesus because it's a relationship with a person, not a religion. Yeah. Our eyes have been opened to see that we are approved of and loved by the king of the universe. And that changes everything. Has it changed you? Has it broken down the walls of religion or your pride that you can do it all on your own? I can do this on my own. I got this. This is the thing that I. This is this is my world. What are you getting angry about? What 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 are people stomping on that's owning you today? Because I feel like we we spend more time in that area. What we believe. What I believe about this. What I believe about that. I believe this about this. And these people believe this about this. And I get and we get down in the minutia with the rest of the world. And guess what? Jesus is on his throne and he's leading us with new eyes. We have a choice to make as the church. You know, my son recently went camping. I'm going to end here. I think we're, we're pretty close on time. He recently went camping and uh, he was proud to come home and tell me like things didn't go well. Like they, they left and I knew they were undergunned. Like, you know, you got 18 boys all packing up in different cars going camping. And they were undergunned, man. They just, not, probably not enough gear. They probably had, they had a decent amount of gear. We, we set them up okay. But their plan, like the campsite was that something that they looked up on, you know, it was a fraud. Like they went, they were supposed to go somewhere near Jenny Springs. They pull up and it's like two feet from the highway. Like, and they're like, this is not a campsite. We can't even, there's like pine tree. There's nowhere to put up a tent. So they drove to the next place and it was a bust. And then they drove to another place and things just weren't working out. And they were supposed to be in Jenny Springs and, and, and ultimately, and then all of a sudden there's a group of guys that were kind of complaining. Like, dude, this is terrible. We should just throw in the towel. This is awful. And you know how complaining kind of gets on you. Like this is, the, my, their viewpoint was this. And my son said, we changed the narrative. Like, I don't know if he used that word. He just said, we there was a few of us that just said, this is an adventure. Like, now we don't even know where we're going. Like, we don't even know what's next. And he said, we ended up, he goes, the next thing you know, we looked at our, our phone, and we were at the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and they walked out, and it's white sand. Because the, 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 he goes, Gulf of Mexico, I hadn't been there. So, so it's a white sand, the water's like the Bahamas. It, it ended up being amazing. And it's all perspective. It's all what we see. Right now, some of you are in places where you don't see hope. You don't see, you're believers and you don't see hope. But God has got us on a journey. There is not one step along the way where he is not opening our eyes. He's giving us an opportunity right now to have our eyes wide open 
And he's leading us to something amazing. White sand, clear crystal water. And I'm not talking about comfort. I'm talking about a journey with Jesus that will change everything about our faith. Are we willing to step? Are we willing to allow the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to come through the scales over our eyes, the hard exterior, and change the way that we think? Are we willing to pray for a revelation if we haven't had one? Like right now, I just would ask you with your family or if you're by yourself, just say, God, you know what? I've been just kind of walking this thing out. I need a revelation. I need a revelation. And he'll bring the revelation. He'll probably right-size you in the middle of that too. And then he's going to give you a clear and compelling purpose. And he's going to give you a new name. He's going to give you a new name. So get with your family. Pray for that. We need it as the church. And I know, I know somebody right now is watching this. And you desperately need it. To go from that transition of what you used to believe to what the truth is about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love who you are. We love how you change things in an instant. As bad as things were in the church, with Saul breathing out murderous threats, in an instant, you weren't out of control. You said, I'm going to use this guy. Which means, you can use me. You can use us. You can change things. Whatever circumstance we're in, whatever's going on in our lives right now, whatever devastation we feel like is happening, you can change it in an instant. And we want to lay our lives before you. God, I pray that you energize the church by the power of your Holy Spirit, that the power that raised you from the grave, Jesus, begins to emanate from the, the people of God and change the world around us. We love you.